Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope. We're excited to share another powerful episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, real loud crowd this morning. Really, really great job. Somebody turn to a mom. I never do this. Somebody turn to a mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. And then uh, also, uh, you might be here, and if you've been here a little while, or maybe you're new, you're thinking, is he wearing a suit? Yep. <laughs> I, am, I am an Happy Mother's Day mom in Tennessee for the last 12 years. I've worn a suit on Mother's Day. God doesn't care what you wear to church, but my mom does. <laughs> that gets a laugh every year. <laughs> so... I know my mom watches live in Tennessee. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. I know my wife's going to say, have you FaceTimed your mom yet? I'm going to say, I don't need to. I just I saw her on the live stream. She saw me. We're good. But uh, no, every year, it, it's, I wear a suit for a few reasons. Uh, it's either a wedding, a funeral, or Mother's Day. And uh, I do that to honor my mom because every mom loves to see their boy in a suit. So it's true. So before, so take note, guys. <laughs> so before we get into the message today, we have a very special word from the REC kids. Can we roll that now? I love my mom because she's very nice, very sweet. I just love her so much. I love my mom because she helps me keep my, keep my room clean when I need to keep it clean. And she loves God, and we always pray together. I love my mommy because I like it when she plays with me. My life when my mommy does 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 because I like my mom because she puts me to bed and she does horse rides and because she gives me treats. The reason why I, I love my mommy so much because she lets me hang out with her and we get Starbucks every day. And she teaches me about how to love God more and I love her so much and she's the best mom I've ever had. Because she takes care of me and because she is my mother. Because she fills my, li- my life with, with, with lots of joy, and she's my best mom ever. And, and I love my mom because she kind of gave birth to me, and um, she and she like no matter what, she always loves us. I love I love my mama so much because she takes care of me every day and I love her and I love my mom because she's always really nice to me and she loves me no matter what and she'll always forgive me and she's the best so yeah I love my mom because she likes to tickle me a lot and I love her um, so much I love my mom so much because she's always there for me and she's always there for my siblings too I love my mama so much because she is always giving she is very compassionate and she welcomes people. I love them 
and, 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 um, because she helps me with my homework when I need help. And then whenever I want to play a game or do something with her, she always helps me. I love my mom because she's really nice and she cooks me food and that's why I love my mom and she's the best. I love my mom because she's the best cook in the world and she and she loves to play Uno with me and whenever I need her she's always there for me. Um, 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 I my mommy by going to the train station and going to Disneyland. Because um, he did the me and he... Yeah. That's why we love moms, right? I mean, they take good care of us. They help you keep your room clean. They, uh, they give you treats. But there's so much more. Moms are just there every single step of the way. And that's why we love our moms. And this morning, I want to talk about one of the early moms in the Bible. So if you've got your message notes, I want to invite you to pull those out. And I love it. I love the story of Sarah because the story of Sarah in the Bible is so human. It's such a human story. And honestly, if you're here and you're investigating faith, or maybe you're not a Christian, and you, you read the Bible and compare it against other ancient texts, one of the things, I mean, we're all doing that, right? Just going home and reading the Bible, comparing against other ancient texts. Is it just me? You know, you're all doing this. So you, you go home and, and you read other ancient stories, and you see these other people are completely flawless. But all through Scripture, we see these completely flawed people, and God still does something with them. I mean, Sarah has her high moments and her low moments, but there's not perfect people in Scripture. It's such a human story. So the story starts with Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sari. And what happens is that from the Tower of Babel, some of you might not know this story, what happens is that God creates the world, and then humans rebel against God, and they sin, and then they're cast out of this perfect garden, and then they build their own utopia, their own cities called Babel. And this own human civilization called Babel ends up being wicked. And, and, and so God, you know, sort of confuses their language and these people scatter. But two of these people, Abram and Sari, are called out. They're called out ones to be part of God's new covenant people, his new covenant promise. And through these covenant people, the entire earth would be redeemed. This is God's plan. This is the story of Abram and Sari, or Abraham and Sarah. For the sake, their name changes at one point, but for the sake of the sermon, I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah. And it is important distinction, but for the sake of the sermon, Abraham and Sarah. But God starts a new story out with this couple. And normally we focus on Abraham's side of the story because it's more told in Scripture. You get more details about it. But today I want to talk a little bit about Sarah's side of the story. And the first fill-in is this, then we're going to get into the text. The first fill-in is this, wait on God, he rewards waiting. Wait on God, he rewards waiting. This would define Sarah's life. She would be a, a person who had to wait on God for his promise to be fulfilled in her life because without that, she's nothing. 
So Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we'll, we'll begin to traverse the story here. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country to your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So you're reading this story and you think, wow, okay, great. Abram and Sarah, they're, Abraham and Sarah, they're going to be people who bless the whole earth. Well, how are they going to do this? If you jump down to verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there and the Lord who had, to the Lord who had appeared to him. So to Abraham, it's his offspring, his children. There's only one problem. He's childless. He and his wife were barren. They're not having children. Well, and back in those ancient times, they just looked at it as the woman was barren, not the man. Uh, the man, you know, and we know now in modern medical times that there's some men that have a hard time reproducing, right? But in these times, it was, the blame was squarely placed on, the, on Sarah. So God makes it clear that Abraham is going to have kids, and these kids are going to bless the whole earth. They're going to form this great people group. And this is huge. He's setting up a new family through this Abraham guy. And God is going to bless the entire family of the earth through this guy. The problem is, is that Sarah is 65 years old. If any of you ladies here are over 65 years old and contemplating having more kids, right? No, it's like you're laughing. And that's exactly what Sarah does when God tells her that she's going to have a kid. So he's 65, and at this point, it's like, how do you even do this? So 11 years into the promise, 11 years into the promise, we don't know exactly what Sarah is thinking, but she gets tired of waiting. She's called to wait because starting a family, having offspring, this is a waiting game. This is not something that just happens all the time. And so, so she's called to wait on God's promise. He rewards waiting. And the next one is this. Waiting on God is trusting the words of God even when his timing seems late. Waiting on God is trusting in the words of God even if his timing seems late. Now take Abraham and Sarah out of this for a second. Have you been there? Have you been there that you've had to wait on God's word, wait on what God has told you, wait on what scripture says, wait on God to move, even though his timing seems late. God doesn't live in the, the time constraints that we live in. See, in waiting, despair sets in. You begin to wonder if God will ever be good to you. If God's promises are going to be kept for you, you begin to wonder these things. See, waiting on God trains you to live through despair. It trains you to walk firmly rooted in the promises of God, even if you're going through difficult times. This is what waiting does. But we live in a culture and in a time that's just like allergic to waiting. How many of you have had an Amazon package just come over two days? and have just been, like, perplexed. What? Three days delivery? This is ridiculous. I know they can get it to me in one. What, am I, what are they doing? Like, we have so utterly designed our culture that we don't have to wait for anything anymore. We have instant gratification in our pockets. We have instant gratification wherever we go. 
We don't need to wait for anything. And so having to wait on God in difficult times, in times where it doesn't seem like God is going to show up, trains us, trains us to firmly root our faith in God. So we know at this point, by the way, that Abraham and Sarah, they become wealthy. God blesses them. And part of the ways they become wealthy is that Abraham actually lies to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And it's, it's a whole other story. He exploits his own wife and becomes very wealthy as a result. It's another story for another sermon for another day that I would love to jump into at one point, but not today. We don't have that kind of time. It's a story of Abraham and Sarah continually actually failing the test. And one of the ways we know this is that if you take the words of the Garden of Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve failing the test of not eating from the knowledge of tree, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you take some of those words, you find those all over Abraham and Sarah's story, kind of in the same order. And so when you're reading Abraham and Sarah's story and you see them failing these tests over and over and over again, it's like they're like Adam and Eve continually failing the test of faith of God. Do we believe in what God said or not? So we know they keep failing this test. So here's where the story is going. After 11 years of God promising Abraham and Sarah that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, they begin to fulfill God's promise in their own strength. Have you ever done this? Yes. I'm, ju I'm judging by the mm-hmm in the room. We've all done this. I feel like God is leading me this direction and it hasn't happened yet, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm just going to do it my way. And in these days, wealthy people had servants and Abraham and Sarah had servants and they came from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is kind of a place in Iraq that we think right now. And under the code of Hammurabi, which is a pagan code, one of the things that you could do from that area was take a servant and expand your family through that servant. And you could use that, that servant as a surrogate. The servant didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. This is not good in today's ethics, by the way. And the servant did not have a, a say in the matter. And so Sarah, wanting to fulfill God's promise, thinking, well, maybe this promise, God didn't specifically say me, maybe this promise is just through Abraham and not me. So I'm going to orchestrate this, as any good mom does, right? I want my husband to succeed. I want, my, I want a family. I want all to succeed. So I'm going to orchestrate this. I'm going to fulfill this promise. So she's experiencing infertility, and it's difficult. Moms, if you're experiencing infertility, waiting on God is tough. Desiree and I have walked alongside many families who've journeyed this journey, and I can tell you it is painful and is devastating to wait on God, but it's fruitful. Some of these families have had children through natural means. Some of these families have had children through IVF. Some of these families have, have uh, adopted. And still, some of these families are still waiting. God never promises in the Bible that we're going to have all have children. It's a hard pill to swallow. And it's a hard one for anybody. But for Abraham and Sarah, what is unique is that God said, you will have a child. They knew there was a promise. Waiting on God is hard but fruitful. 
It teaches you to begin to rely on God. Waiting on God teaches you patience. And, and, and here's your next fill-in, and it, this is the reason why it's so important to learn patience and waiting on God is because without patience, your prayer life will never be productive. Without patience, your prayer life will never be productive. Because God calls us in a number of spots, Luke 18 is a good spot, to continually go back to God and petition him and ask him, Lord, would you, would you do this thing? Continually bring your request before the Lord because he's not going to answer on your timetable. Parents, teaching your own kids to wait is probably one of the greatest gifts that you could give them. There's a lot of great gifts you can give your kids, but this is an especially important one because they grow up and they need to know that God is not on their timetable. God is not a cosmic slot machine. God is not a tool that we can use for spiritual blessings and that he is not at our beck and call. Oftentimes, our relationship with God involves prayerful waiting. It's something we need to teach our kids in an instant gratification culture. It's so countercultural to be a Christian. Often your times get you with, oftentimes our kids will get us with the tyranny of the urgent. Kids have an especially honed in tool for this. It's called tantrums and crying. They get, they get you, right? They just get you. I remember we brought Emma home from the hospital, and some of you are going to think, this sounds cruel. I did it first, too. <laughs> Emma's crying in the other room. She's crying, and, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go get her. And Desiree was like, no, 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 crying strengthens her lungs. You have to wait and let her cry. Obviously, you know, change your diaper, feed her, all that stuff, but you, you got to do that. And it was so hard. She somehow had this knowledge. That, I mean, Desiree did. My, my wife somehow had this knowledge. I'm like, okay, fine. And then she, I, I want to go back in there and get her. And she goes, no, she's fed. She has a diaper change. Let her cry. She'll go back to sleep. Two minutes later, she goes back to sleep. I mean, two minutes. Emma was a good sleeper. Not all babies are like that. <laughs> Tell you another story. The summer before Jacob's kindergarten year, we knew our little boy had a lot of energy. A lot of energy. He still has, if you see him around here, he still has a lot. Of, he's bouncing off walls. He has tons and tons of energy. So Desiree devised this plan that we called sitting board. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's sitting board. So the summer before his kindergarten year, we made him sit and wait for one minute. And if he couldn't sit there quietly, then we would repeat the minute. And we did this all the way until we could reach 30 minutes where he just sat and waited. It was a brilliant move of parenting by my wife because then he went to kindergarten and was able to sit bored. My wife told me, she was like, most of life is sitting bored. You know, you got to go to work and sit bored. You got to go to school and sit bored. Like you got to, you just got to somehow endure the boredom. So we have to teach him to wait. And I was like, wow, this is brilliant because later in their life, we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And that's something that we need to always remember as parents. We're not raising children. We're raising adults. They're only going to be kids for this amount of their life. For just a little fraction of their life, they're going to be kids. But we need to teach them one day to have a, a relationship with God as an adult too. Of course, we need to preserve their childhood. But there's stuff in our world that's just too big for their shoulders to carry. And, and, but we need to teach them essentially how to be adults we need to raise adults. 
And in life, there's so much waiting. But with God, there's waiting too. And how are they ever going to have a solid relationship with God if they cannot rely on him when he's not answering? They need to be able to do that. And parents, that's one of the things that you could show your kids. It's one of the gifts that you could give them is rely on God. I don't know. I haven't heard from the Lord yet. I'm just still waiting on God. Rely on God when he's not answering. It's a good thing. But Sarah decides that she's done waiting. This is actually the next fill in is here. When you interrupt the waiting period of God, then you will usually create more sorrow than solution. When you interrupt the waiting period of God, then you, you, you will usually create more sorrow than solution. And we don't have time to go into all, again, what happened here. We're going to go into a little bit. But essentially, when Sarah inserts herself into God's plan, the more Sarah's un- plan unfolds, the worse it gets. This slave girl, Hagar the Egyptian, gets sent away. Ishmael gets sent away because Sarah's jealous. Her plan backfired in her face famously because it was her way to fulfill the covenant, not God's way. So right after this event happens, we get to Genesis 17. And God restates the covenant. And he says this, And God made it clear this time, Abraham, it's not just for you, it's for Sarah too. God also said to Abraham, As for Sari, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sari, but but her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and he will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of all nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Now, first, we found her age was 65. Eleven years later, she tried to figure out the plan on her own terms, and now she's 90. So about 25 years have passed. Waiting on God is tough. And now 90 years old having a child. My neighbor Henry just celebrated his 97th birthday the other day. I I can't imagine him having a child right now. (laughs) Running around, he can't hear or see anything. That would not be good. (laughs) Trip over this baby. (sighs) Love my neighbor Henry, by the way. We do so much with him. But God says specifically, Sarah, you will be the mother of all nations. You have to wait on my promise. You have to wait. I've promised you. You have to wait. God rewards waiting. Don't try and come make your own plans yourself. God rewards waiting. So Sarah had to wait on a child. She was 65 years old when God gave the promise, 90 when Isaac was born. 25 years seems like an impossible time to wait. You've got to be kidding me. After 10 years of waiting, she got tired. She wanted to do her own thing. I'm getting older, God. I can't wait on you this whole time. So then Genesis 18, there's three visitors, again, a whole other sermon. I need to do a series through Abraham, a whole other uh, sermon for another day. The Twitter version is that it's God in human form. We can get, that's, that's a long, actually, explanation needed there. But anyways, Genesis 18, verses 9 through 15. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. 
Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm that old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. By the way, in the garden, they were afraid, and they hid, and they lied to God. All garden language. Then he said, yes, you did laugh. So again, God reiterates the process, the, pro- or the promise, and implements yet another waiting period. For some reason, and I don't know why, God keeps instituting waiting periods. Why? I think it's to mold us to his will. I mean, I don't know fully why, but I think it's so that we will mold and shape. God doesn't need to mold and bend to us. We need to mold and bend to him. I think it's so that we will be reshaped. That's why we have these waiting periods. Sarah laughs. She calls herself worn out and old. It's not a nice thing to say, but that's what she calls herself, right? She denies it, she, and then she hides, tries to hide her mocking laugh. It's a laughter in disbelief. But look what the three visitors say. In verses 13 through 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, I will, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Moms, the rhetorical question that these three visitors ask are so important in parenting your kids. And I think that this question should colonize our brains. And your last fill-in this morning is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is not just a promise or a statement by these three visitors, but, but with, you know, all the way through the, the New Testament, with God, all things are possible. How can this be that I, I'll be pregnant and give birth to the Messiah? Well, with God, all things are possible. It's something that's said to Sarah here, but fast forwards all the way to the birth of the Messiah. That Sarah has this child, Isaac, and Isaac will have these children, and then their children will have children, and eventually the 12 tribes of Israel, and they'll come to form a people group that, will, that all of a sudden the Messiah will come from. This is what Sarah will do. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In our finite view, when God says, I'm going to do this impossible thing, we laugh. Like when I talk to you about if anybody here is 65 or older and wants to start having kids, like you, you start laughing because it's silly. It's ridiculous. But God here in this story is like, is anything too hard for me? It reminds me of the questions at the end of Job where God kind of rebukes them all and he's like, did, did, were you there when the mountains were formed? Were you there when I, when I set the boundaries of the seas, were, were you there when, when I made like all these rocks? Were you there? Is anything too hard for me? It's easy to look at our own situations and to say, God, I'm done waiting. I'm going to do things on my own. God, I'm done with this. But you have to remember, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Parents, again, you are not raising children. You're raising adults. You, again, you've got to preserve their childhood, their innocence, and all that stuff, but it's just such a short period of their life that they're children. 
One day, they're going to turn from people who pick their nose and eat their boogers <laughs> to people who have to pay taxes. One day, they're going to turn from kids who are being spoon-fed Bible verses in children's ministry to going to high school and somebody saying, but what do you really believe? One day they're going to change all of a sudden right in front of your eyes. They're going to be these kids that were like so cute. I tell everybody all the time, my kids used to be so cute, but they're all grown up now. I mean, I'm joking. Emma, you're in the back. I, I say that because my daughter's in the back working on the computer. Teenager now, right? But they, but they have this innocent spiritual faith and they're living off of your faith right now. But are they going to grow up is that going to blossom into faith in their own life? We've got to teach them to wait. God rewards waiting. We've got to teach them that nothing is too hard for God. We have to teach them to firmly root their hope in the Lord. Genesis 21, verses 6 through 7 says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And anyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to me, to Abraham and Sarah, would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I wanted to pull that verse out because Sarah now has a child. She's now facing and looking right into God's promise, and she laughs again. But this time her laugh is not a mocking laugh. It's a joyful laugh. It's a laugh of hope. It's a laugh of, wow, God really does do what he says he's going to do. Wow, nothing is too hard for the Lord. This child is a living example that God is good. She laughed because the promise seemed so absurd. She laughed because nothing is too hard for the Lord. She laughed because of the waiting period that she had to endure. And this brings me to my last point. This actually is your last fill-in. Moms... Raise kids who are passionately devoted to Jesus. Now, I know it seems like a big change. We're changing on a dime here. We're going from Sarah to Jesus, right? But, but here's what, what's, what's going on. Abraham and Sarah have kids. They've got Isaac. There's another test coming, and Abraham will pass that test. All the tests, they fail, but he passes the test of sacrificing his son, which God wasn't going to have him do anyways. There's a whole story there. Again, another sermon, another day. He passes the test. And through him, he has children, and they become the nation of Israel. And these children, through that line, comes the Messiah. And we are called to raise kids who are passionately devoted to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was parenting a number of churches. Just as Sarah was parenting Isaac, the Apostle Paul came to know Jesus and was parenting these churches. And the, the church of Colossae, or Colossians in your Bible, he didn't start, he never started that church, but felt the need to be an apostle to all these churches because he had seen Jesus and Jesus had done a miraculous work in his life. And even though Paul was going through his own waiting period, he wrote this letter in prison, waiting on the Lord. He decided to, to tell this church to be passionately devoted to Jesus. He decided to write to them and say, listen, I want to remind you all the way through the book of Colossians that I'm praying for you, that your faith will have a lasting impact on this world. See, this is the foresight that moms have and that parents have, that they know that that child isn't going to be that child forever. 
then that child's going to go on and do something and impact more than that mom could have ever impacted. And so there's, there's a prayer there. And this is how Paul was. Paul is sort of like a parent in the Bible, and he's parenting all these churches. And in the book of Colossians, I just want to read verses, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. It says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you will live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power in accordance with his glorious might so that you may have a great endurance and patience. He's praying that they know how to wait on God and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's parenting prayer for the church is that they might endure. That they might endure in a place where there's fertility cults. And the, the way these fertility cults worked, by the way, was that like if you wanted to get pregnant um, at home and you're not getting pregnant, then you would send your husband to the, <laughs> the goddess's temple and then he would have relations with the goddess and then come back and have relations with you. And really it was passing around a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it was, it was pagan worship and all that, but that's how these fertility cults worked. So Paul's telling them, like, be endure, enduring in following the Lord in this culture, in this culture that crucified other Christians, in this culture that, that pushed people away. Endure and wait on the hope and the promise of Jesus because he loves you and he's turning you into these people who are light to the world. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. See, Paul is writing this from prison, and his prayer is that they would learn to wait and endure. Paul here is in prison. This is what he's doing. He's showing the people of Colossae that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Paul is telling them that they have to live passionately devoted lives to Jesus, and that that will change everything. Moms, dads, I want to encourage you. If you live passionately devoted to Jesus, then you are setting the stage. You are setting the stage. Now, you can't guarantee. Your kids are going to grow up. They're going to make their own decisions. And some might choose to follow Jesus and some might not right now. Or maybe they'll come back later in life. We don't know. We, I, I know the, the, the pain. I've walked with many people, the pain of an adult child who's walked away from faith. I, I, I understand that pain. I get it. You, but at that point, they're making their own decisions. But parents with little ones right now, parents with grown ones, moms, set the stage. Set the stage for your kids to live passionately devoted to Jesus. And the way that you set the stage for that is that you live passionately devoted to Jesus. They're watching you. So moms, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. I had a mom that did that for me, and many of you are moms that are doing that for your kids. Mom has set the stage for so much in life. So here's what I want to do today. I, I just want to, I want to invite the band to come, and I want to do a prayer for moms. And if you are a mom here, 
his sitting next to like somebody you came with, you know, your child or a husband or something like that. Or how about this? If you're a dad here or, or a kid, grab your mom's hand. We're just going to do that. Hold mom's hand and make her happy on Mother's Day, okay? Your husband, do that. We want to pray over moms today. And dads, kids, I want to invite you right now, just as I'm praying, to pray over your mom. Because she has a way tougher job than you could ever think of or imagine. I want to invite you to pray over them. So join me today in prayer. And and right now, if you want to pray your own prayer over your mom, then by all means, do that. Let's pray. Father, in your wisdom, you've given us moms. Lord, and today we pray for our moms. We bring them before you and we simply ask that you would continue to watch over them, that you would be with them. Father, that you would put your spirit on them. That you would continue just giving them this, this endurance that they need in motherhood to press on, even when it's so difficult. That you would continue giving them this hope that our, that our children live off of. Lord, I pray a special blessing over the moms today. Would you strengthen them because parenting is hard work? Father, would you continue to give them your wisdom because sometimes our wisdom just doesn't cut it? God, would you continue to give them endurance because parenting is so tiring and difficult? God, would you give parents foresight to see that they are not raising children but adults? They're raising people who are going to go out into this world way quicker than we could ever think of. God, would you give parents everything that they need? Would you remind them and give them glimmers of hope that that life isn't too difficult? Father, I pray that you would help our kids to see that there is nothing impossible with you. But help them to see that through their mom. God, we just thank you for moms who have said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Lord, we just ask that you would be with those moms today and that you would walk with them, guide them, and lead them, especially if there's anybody here in a waiting process with God right now. God, would you walk with them in that waiting process and help them to see that we don't want to usurp that waiting process, but we want to patiently and joyfully wait on you. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the moms that you've given us. We ask a special blessing over them today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message from Pastor Dave. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of RAC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.